Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Bible in the News. There has been a lot happening in the news at the moment. The coronavirus has been dominating the headlines, staggering death counts and projections. There's a new government on the verge of being formed in Israel. The stock markets are crashing. Anti-Semitism is rising as people come up with theories to try and blame the Jews for the crisis that's coming in the world. What we would like to look at this week is the antagonism between those to the north of Israel and those to her south. Zechariah 14 verse 16 speaks of those that are left after the crisis. It says, It shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem. So after everything is all done and everything is calmed back down, it has been so dreadful that it speaks of those who are left of the nations. But those that are left shall come up from year to year to worship the king, Jehovah of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, it speaks of Michael standing up, that great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, it says, at that time when he stands up, there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Right there in that verse, we can see that the time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. It's not since there was a nation of Israel, but since there was a nation at all, because the time of trouble that the people of Israel went through at the time of their dispersion in the events that happened around 70 AD to 135, that was a time of trouble that saw many of the children of Israel wiped out. It saw them expelled from their land and to enter a time of fiery trial and persecution that lasted 2,000 years. So it's not going to be a time of trouble that's worse than that for them, but on a global scale, the time of trouble will be such as never has been since there was a nation. The word for nation here is goy, and if we go back to Genesis chapter 10, it speaks of the start of the nations and um, the, the progenitors of them, and I believe that that's what this is talking about. So if we go back further than that, then we um, encounter Noah's flood, and the flood of Noah wiped out everybody on the earth except for eight people. And we believe there will be more left of the nations after these things than at that time. If we read on in Daniel chapter 12, we see that although it is a terrible time of trouble for the nations, it's a time of the great judgment of God coming to reckoning of the terrible things that they have done to his people and the immorality and wickedness of this world. It is a time of reckoning. But to those who are faithful, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2 it says, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So it's the time that the dead are raised and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased is today not a time that knowledge is increased like never before. If we go back just slightly early, 
earlier in Daniel, chapter 11 and at verse 40. It says, At the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. Now as we read through Daniel chapter 11, it is a description of the tussle between the king of the north, that power that was to the north of Israel, and the king of the south, the predominant power that was to the south of Israel, and they fought back and forth. And at the time of the end, there's also this north-south polarization of the nations. And we see that today. We see those nations aligning to the north of Israel, Syria and um, Iraq. Iraq right now is very divided, but Iraq, Iran, you get that band across. Turkey is joining with them. And then to the north further, we see Russia. And also we know that Europe will be involved with them as well from, Dan from Ezekiel chapter 38. So we have this huge northern confederacy here called the King of the North, elsewhere called a mountain of brass. So there's the King of the North and there's also a southern power. And today we see a southern alignment taking shape as it's been there really for many years that the United States and England and many of, of those allied Western powers have great influence to those nations to the south of Israel, the king of the Negev, as it is here, the king of the south. So you have Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Gulf nations. They have a very different stance than those to the north. And we've been looking for this for many years, for that to be not the, all the Arab nations against Israel, but some are more favorable toward her and others are antagonistic. So we have a power to the north of Israel and a power to the south, and they're contending with each other. So the push is not a singular action. If we look at the word for push, it would better be translated that it is to engage in thrusting or to wage, wage war. It's a hitpail verb, hitnagar, um, to engage in thrusting or to wage war. So if we, if we read the verse in that way, at the time of the end, the king of the south shall engage in thrusting with him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind. And that whirlwind is also that same kind of verb, the hitpail. And it's not, it's, it doesn't describe something like a tornado that comes down in that finger point preciseness and it comes and it's gone and it's over, but more like a storm, a storm that comes and beats. So he comes like a storm with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. So this is describing then a great conflict between that confederacy of northern nations and those to the south of Israel. And it also goes on that this king of the north will enter also into the glorious land. And that's where he meets his end, as he then has taken on the apple of God's eye, Israel and God's people. 
In much of modern history, we have witnessed this tussle back and forth. It hasn't necessarily been always so divided between the north and the south of Israel, but those nations that we see mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 38, when we see the division of who's on the north and who's on the south that you've got, really, in some ways you could describe it today as east-west because you've got those Russia, Europe, some of the Arabs along on, on the northern side, and then you have great powers to the west that align with the nations to the south of Israel. And these nations have been antagonistic for many years. In World War I and World War II, we saw this behavior, and we saw them tussling also around the Holy Land, around the Middle East. So this engaging and thrusting, this waging of war, has been going on for some time. But there's to be a time that's worse yet. Daniel chapter 11, verse 40, the king of the north shall come against him. So we, are, we should see a continuation of this antagonism boil and include the king of the north entering militarily into many countries of the south, as we've said. So we say then, how is the contention going today? What do we see in the world? One area that we see today, this antagonism boiling under the surface, is Russian behavior with sending planes and ships around the world to harass other nations. Just this week, Russian warships in the English Channel prompt UK Navy shadowing operation, and Allied fighter jets intercept Russian aircraft on March 11th, and not so long ago, <coughs> and on March 27th, just a few days ago, NATO forces intercept Russian aircraft and track Russian ships. We've seen this behavior for a long time, and it's been commented on at other times, and we're not going to spend time to go into it at the moment, but it's continuing there. And at this time of crisis in the world, it seems like Russia is taking advantage of the distraction of those in the world with the coronavirus and is being more provocative than usual. And then there is Saudi Arabia's oil price war, as it's, talked, as it's mentioned here in Al Jazeera, but really that's a biased way of reporting this because it's not Saudi Arabia that really initiated the problem, as we will see. But it is a tussle between Saudi Arabia and Russia, and really the United States is involved as well. I'm sure everybody's noticed the low prices at the pumps. I haven't been able to fill up my car for this kind of price since I was a teenager. But what's really causing this, and should we be concerned? Here again, Saudi Arabia starting a reckless oil war with Russia, but the U.S. is also a target. So again, the Business Insider is putting the, uh, the blame on Russia. Fortune says, why Saudi Arabia's plan to punish Russia with an oil price war likely won't work. So again, blaming it on Saudi Arabia. But today you can see there's really a cold war that's there. They're contending with, in this case, they're, they're contending over the oil. They're, they're tussling with each other over the oil prices. But there's always more than one way to look at a crisis. And if we look at CNBC, they place the blame firmly on Putin. Putin just sparked an oil price war with Saudi Arabia, and U.S. energy companies may be the victims. As we go on in that article, it was only three weeks ago that the Trump administration imposed sanctions on Russian oil giant Rosneft for transporting Venezuelan oil. And then just down in the yellow part, connect the dots. Putin reacting to Trump, the Saudis, led by Energy Minister 
and son, son of the King Abdulaziz bin Salman reacting to Putin, and American oil and gas workers and investors are caught in the middle of this epic eagle battle. And then as this was going on, the coronavirus crisis hit at the same time and the demand for oil plummeted. The net result of this tussle that's really more complicated than it's necessarily made out is that we've seen oil prices hit lows that could not even be imagined not very long ago. On April 1st, it says that they're expecting prices to just continue dropping further and further. And for us here in Canada, this is really bad news because in Alberta, we have oil sands and for it to be profitable for, to extract the oil out of the sand, the oil prices have to be fairly high. So it says here, Alberta oil sands struggling as Western Canadian select plunges, plunges to $5 a barrel. Canadian crude now costs less than the price paid to ship it. So what does this mean for Saudi Arabia and for Russia? For Saudi Arabia, it's actually much worse than it is for Russia. Saudi Arabia may need to borrow money to fill the gap between what it spends and the revenue it receives. It needs oil prices of around $82 a barrel to balance its budget, whereas Russia needs oil at about $42 a barrel. And if we look at the US situation, it's worse because of the great debt of those that invested in infrastructure to get the, the oil out of the shale that the United States has. The bottom line is really what it says at the bottom of that top quote, stockholder pain will only get worse and bankruptcy lawyers will be busy. And as it says in the bottom somewhere, Vladimir Putin is looking at a map of Texas and smiling. He is winning this war. The other side of the story is over the last few years, the United States' oil production has been going through the roof. If you look at the stories and the numbers, you could place blame on various people, but at the end of the day, the net result is the same. If you look at this graph here, you can see the three-way battle in oil production. The blue is Russia, the red is Saudi Arabia, and the light blue is the United States. You can see if you follow that light blue or aqua line, it's shot up back in 2014 it was down around eight barrels, now it's up around 13. So while all this is going on, Russia is not sitting around on its laurels. As this article here says, Russia moves in on European gas markets as oil prices crash. So as the oil prices go down, Russia is taking the opportunity to move in on European gas. This is also a strategic move as they've been trying to corner the market on European gas for a long time. It was talked about in the Bible magazine back in volume 21, number four, as we've pictured, pictured there to the right, where it speaks of Russia being triumphant and Europe chained. That's to do with the confederacy of nations that we see that eventually comes down to its demise on the mountains of Israel. That confederacy involves Russia and Europe working together, and we expect to see them becoming more cozy as time goes on. Russia has already been seen to weaponize this reliance on their gas by the Europeans, turning the taps off at inopportune times. I know my own relatives in the UK 
saw the gas pressure in their gas fireplace go down, feeling the effects of Russia's behavior over in the east. These things that we're seeing, the buildup towards the time of the end, is described as birth pangs, as those labor contractions that come upon a woman before a child is born. I have five children, and I know what it's like, and sometimes it seems more out of the blue, and sometimes you get that set in of the rhythm of the contractions, but you see these same themes coming up and again and again, and it gets stronger and stronger as time goes on, and just as surely as one day the baby is born, so with the events that we're seeing now, surely one day the rest of the prophecies will be fulfilled as the ones that we have already seen have been. And as we see all these things building up, and we see events in the world heating up towards the time of great trouble, and as we saw in the past the terrible things that happened in Europe, as in World War I and World War II, Revelation 18, verse 4 and 5 is relevant. I heard another voice out of heaven saying, Come forth out of her, my people, that ye may not partake with her sins, and ye may not receive of her plagues, because her sins did follow into heaven, and God did remember her unrighteousness. And in verse 24, just to be sure of who this is talking about, 18 verse 24, And in her the blood of the prophets and of the saints was found, and of all who have been slain on the earth. That is Catholic Europe. And as we look back down through history, they have been a persecutor of God's people all through time. And as recently as World War, World War, World War II, we saw those European powers treating God's people terribly. And her sins have reached unto heaven, and they will be judged in a final time when Babylon the Great is destroyed. Now, I'd just like to make a little side note here, because some have said, based on Revelation chapter 11 and verse 8, that this great city is the city of Jerusalem. And the reason is because it says that it's where our Lord was crucified in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 8. Now, the reason that this does not mean that it's Jerusalem, or one of them, is Yeshua was not crucified in Jerusalem. It was outside the city. He was not crucified in the city of Jerusalem. And the authority that crucified him was Roman. It was at Pilate's command. It was at the, the Roman governor Pilate's command that he was crucified. And the power of the city of Rome extended through the empire at that time. Based on the definition of the city being the entire empire, it was predicted that the tenth of the city falling was the French Revolution. And it happened exactly as was seen, verifying that interpretation. So who then is this talking about when it says to come out of her? Come out of her, my people. Who is my people? If we read what John Thomas has to say in Eureka, volume 5, page 29, he speaks of believers coming out of Rome spiritually by way of baptism, coming out of the Roman church. And on page 45, he says, The people here addressed are the 8,000 Jews in Rome and the tens of thousands in the kingdoms of the beast. So what he's saying there, this was back in the 1800s. This was back in the 1800s. The number of Jews as time went on increased greatly. He says that this is addressing the Jews who hear 
he describes as those residing in the kingdoms of the beast, which by his interpretation would be those living in Europe. And really it's sad to think how many would have been saved in World War II if this advice had have been taken at that time for them to escape out of Europe before the judgments came. And indeed the same is true now. The judgment on Europe is not over and for any who live there to escape, now is the time to get out while there is opportunity. As we see these things developing, we hope the resurrection is soon and that we're not in this world much longer. This has been Tim Billington with you this week for the Bible in the News. Please join us again next week for more Bible in the News. Bye-bye.